This is the Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. Today's topic is going to be a lot of the intelligence that people equate to St. Thomas Aquinas was holy wisdom. But first a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus in the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. So, a lot of True Catholics, and not just true Catholics, but the uh, LARPing Catholics of the Vatican II sect, all know about St. Thomas Aquinas, or 
maybe I should say most of them know, they've at least heard of St. Thomas Aquinas. But my experiences online, they don't talk about him very much. And the ones that do don't seem to understand what I call the sublimity of St. Thomas Aquinas. And what I mean the sublimity is, is that I'm talking about his, his beautiful exit, um, his beautiful expositions on God's truth. Now, obviously, St. Thomas Aquinas isn't for a person like me who does not, um, is, is not very intelligent. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying I'm a dummy. I'm just saying... Um, his exposition is just too deep for my understanding. And for a lot of people, or I should say for a lot of Catholics or people who consider themselves Catholics, they attribute this, uh, this sublimity on his natural intelligence. Now, I ain't going to lie. I have not read his biography. Honestly speaking, I've got more reading to do than I know what to do with. So um, when it comes to reading his biography, that's kind of low on my list. But... The reason I'm doing this episode is I think a lot of people get confused and they they confuse his holy wisdom which is knowledge of God with his intelligence. Now, when we're talking about St. Thomas Aquinas you know, to those of us who are serious about our religion and our faith, we have to realize that obviously he's a saint. But what a lot of people miss in that fact is that one of the spiritual virtues is knowledge of God or what they call holy wisdom. And... To, as I never get tired of um, talking about, when it comes to knowledge of God, i.e. a deeper spiritual understanding of God and, you know, what, what he does, spiritually, your spiritual eyes get opened. And... A person is able to see things that people who are not practicing the spiritual life do not see and do not comprehend and do not understand. And obviously, I think this was the case of St. Thomas Aquinas. According to some of the the brief sketches that I've either read or heard online, St. Thomas Aquinas from a very early age, they, um, it appears that he was predestined to be a saint. And I think if you believe in divine providence, that St. Thomas Aquinas was given the gift of knowledge of God in the fullest sense of the term in which he had to have been a saint 
Because I, I, I don't care if you're Stephen Hawking without the, the, the gift of knowledge of God. You're, you're not... I'll put it this way. I don't think that Stephen Hawking was as wise or as knowledgeable as St. Thomas Aquinas. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that. But I believe that God gave him the highest measure of the knowledge of God. By the way, everything that I'm talking about, this is my own theory and understanding. I'm not claiming to be infallibly right. This is, these are just my ideas. So you take them for what it's worth. Up. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, St. Thomas Aquinas lived, I want to say, either in the 13th or the 12th century. And at that time, <clears throat> the true Catholic Church, at least in my understanding of the history of the Catholic Church, did not have a systematic theory of theology. You had the writings of the saints. You had the councils. And you had individual um, popes and prelates and priests and monks who... Um, contributed to the theology of the one true Catholic Church. However, nothing was laid down in a systematic way. There, there was, I mean, they had a theology in the sense that the stuff that was approved of by the true Catholic Church was their theology, but it wasn't systematically laid down and it wasn't, um, I'm looking for a particular word. Um, it wasn't all combined into one theology to train the priests, the prelates, the clergy, and for that matter, the laymen. It was before St. Thomas Aquinas it was um, whatever you were blessed to get. There, there was nothing systematically laid down. And St. Thomas Aquinas' teachings were so sublime and so deep and rich that um, they named his theology Thomism. And I've already covered in a previous episode about the Neo-Thomists. So I'm not going to get into the whole Neo-Thomist thing. And for those of you who are unaware, in, in my in my opinion, anything that's got a Neo in front of it just means it's fake. It just means it's fake. I know a lot of people say, well, no, Neo means it's new. Well, we as Catholics, or I should say true Catholics, understand that there is no new ideas under the sun. And for that matter... The true Catholic Church does not teach innovation. It teaches the truths that have always existed within the Catholic Church, true Catholic Church. But it does not, it does not, oh, it does not invent new ways of doing things. And for those of you of the Vatican II sect, um, that's why I call you guys Neo-Catholics is because your founders went and 
they tried to update the traditional Catholic teachings to the modern world. We do not conform to the modern world. We stay apart and we're separated. We try to convert the modern world to the one true religion. But anyway. So, the beauty of his... Oh, theology. And I just remembered something. Thank you, Mother Mary and Lord Jesus. Um, there's a famous story in his biography where his family was of noble nobility and they wanted him to, you know, they wanted him to be part of the nobility of, uh, of the particular kingdom that they were living in. And uh, St. Thomas said, no, I'm called by God for a different purpose. So he tried to join a monastery and on his way to join the monastery, his brothers kidnapped him and locked him away in a tower. And he just spent the time in prayer and contemplation and um, his brothers realized they're like, man, you know, we, we, we need to, you know, they might not have been thinking this literally, but this was their intent. They're like, we need to corrupt him. So they sent a prostitute in his room and he chased the prostitute out with a burning log because back in the, that era, that's how you heated a room, was a fireplace. He took, literally took a burning log and chased her out. And once he did that, his brothers realized that, well, this isn't going to work, and they let him go ahead and join the monastery. Another aspect of his life, and it's actually a quote, um, that, that he... The, the quotes attributed to him is he said, I learned more in prayer and contemplation than I ever did reading theology. And this is kind of what I, kind of the topic I want to talk about today. Natural learning will get you so far. But at the end of the day, it's natural. Meaning, because it's... Everything natural is a part of God's creation. But unless you turn it toward God, it's going to have limitations, just as we are as human beings. If we do not turn ourselves over completely and utterly, or as we Americans would say, completely sold out, to our Lord Jesus and His Blessed Mother, we are going to be limited, limited in our pursuits. Because without God, as the saying goes, we are nothing. And we literally are. And so, I'm not saying that St. Thomas wasn't a smart man, but I believe a lot of the teachings that he gave us were inspired by God. That if he had been just an average philosophical um, student, on his natural level, he probably would have expounded pretty nicely. But I believe what gave his teachings, their sublimity and their timelessness was literally a gift of God. It was literally his close union with our Lord. And that's why, you know, um, these things, why perfect union with God when you attempt to um, for closer union, why um, 
the stuff that comes from God is timeless. That's why the true Catholic Church never had to innovate. Because the saints and the spiritual writers, even if they were not saints themselves, they had a close enough union with God that something that could have been written in the 1700s or maybe in the 1400s or whatever would stand the test of time. And that only comes through God. There's a lot of bullcrap that's gone on in the natural realm that people have already forgotten about within 50 years of it being promulgated. They've already forgotten about it. But to get back to my original point, the reason why the, the true Catholic Church never had to innovate because their truths are timeless. What is true in the early two, uh, the 3rd century is equally true in the 21st century and throughout history itself. And as part of the basis for his theology, he used a Aristotelian um, philosophy. And in my mind, one of the ways that you can spot somebody who's not spiritually in tune with one true Catholic church is they will use another form of philosophy. I've noticed particularly in the Vatican II sect, they use Platonism. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas, it is recorded, he did not take Platonism seriously. He thought, um, and any student of philosophy will tell you this, he thought that it was uh, seriously flawed. And the reason he used Aristotelian philosophy was he considered it, what, because it came from a pagan, it wasn't perfect, but it came closest to God's revealed truth on earth. That is why he used um, Aristotelian logic. And by the way, for those of you who need appeals to authority, Bishop Sanborn, in one of his uh, classes on uh, Catholic philosophy, um, just is totally and utterly brutal on Platonism. I mean, he is totally dismissive of Platonism. Now, I'm not claiming that I, I understand philosophy enough to understand the deeper reasons why, but Bishop Sanborn, to his great credit, is a good teacher that he makes it understandable to an even um, a very limited person like myself. It makes it understandable why he's contemptuous of this particular brand of philosophy. And just like there are Neo-Thomists, there are Neo-Platonists. I happen to be reading a particular book right now. And what it appears to me is, is that the Neo-Platonists are using the philosophy of Platonism I think that's how you say it, Platonism. But they're adding on their own, their own spin, their own take. And so they call it Neoplatonism. And not that I would consider Platonism in and of itself something the, the original is worth imitating, but I want to go back and reiterate what I said earlier that one of the reasons why the Catholic Church does not allow innovation is because 
We're talking about God's revealed truth here on earth. Therefore, we as dust, as finite human beings, as basically shaved apes, have no we we have no right to monkey with God's revealed truth. And that is why the Catholic Church, the true Catholic Church, has always athematized those people who would take one of God's revealed truths and try to add their own spin. We neither have the right, no, we, we don't have the right, we do not have the brain power, and we don't have the authority to do that. And so when it comes to Platonism, and this, this is going to take me into a more, a more interesting avenue of approach, but when it comes to Platonism, it does have elements of God's truth, but it's not the complete revealed God's truth. Only the one true Catholic Church has that. So if people want to add their own spin to it, you know, it's, it's not an issue because it doesn't come out of the one true Catholic church, which, why, which is why in my previous um, episode, I was so harsh on what, what the Vatican II sect calls Neotomus. Because, once again, there is no Neo if you're dealing with God's revealed truth. And it's quite evident that St. Thomas Aquinas, when he wrote his theology, was adding on to the, not necessarily adding on, Sorry, that I misspoke. He was systematizing God's revealed truth so that the basis of the one true Catholic Church could be Neo. Uh, I'm sorry, mm. Thomist theology. And so, you know. Nobody who is not a heretic can put their own spin on his theology. They don't have the authority to because it literally came from God. And for those of you who need appeals to authority, he is a doctor of the church. Okay? The pre-Vatican II Catholic Church did not willy-nilly make doctors of the church any saint for no reason. I mean, you know, or, or, or for their own personal reasons. They made them doctors of the church because they were expounding on God's revealed church. Uh, I'm sorry, God's revealed truth on earth. And this is aimed at my Vatican II buddies. I know your precious saint, and I put that in inverted commas, Paul VI made uh, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of the Infant Jesus, St. Catherine of Siena, and a couple other female saints into doctors of the church. He does first of all, as a heretic, he definitely doesn't have the authority to that. Um, and for another reason, the church had gone for 1,600 years, or I'm sorry, 1,900 years, without a female doctor of the church. And there was a reason for this. And I'm going to go back to what I said earlier about innovation. 
He did not have the authority to make female doctors of the church. Now, am I denigrating them as saints? Absolutely not. The last three female saints I listed, St. Therese of the Infant Jesus, St. Catherine of Siena, and St. Teresa of Avila, are some of my favorite spiritual writers. So I'm not denigrating them. Then and and I'm not not denigrating their achievements. They are part of the rich spiritual tradition that the the one true Catholic Church has. But um, even even if your precious Pope Paul the Sixth, Mister Montini, had was an actual pope and you know had a pope's authority, he still couldn't have made them doctors of the church. He does not have that authority. No pope has the authority to change tradition. So I'm going to leave it at that, Vatican II sect members. You can go ahead and chew that over at your leisure. Now, to circle back to what I was getting to, um, okay, so to get back to St. Thomas Aquinas, I believe that St. Thomas Aquinas was predestined by God to systematize Catholic theology into a single philosophy. Once again, I'm not claiming any authority. These are just my ideas. But um, if you look at Catholic theology between the time of St. Thomas Aquinas Um, I want to say around to the time of the Protestant revolt, all theology was based on Thomism. And he not only based, I I think the reason, if my understanding is correct, he used the Aristotelian philosophy to systematize Catholic theology was because it had categories. If I'm, and I'm, I don't claim to be a ph- philosophical student. My understanding is is that one of the key points that makes Aristotle a great philosopher is that he he made ca- um, categories within his philosophy that covered different areas of natural existence, and so. St. Thomas, what he did was he, for the spiritual, for the spiritual health of Christendom and the spiritual well-being and the teachings of the one true Catholic Church, he systematized the teachings, the writings of the saints, um, Catholic dogmas, um, uh, the teachings of the church councils, the teachings of the popes, the prelates and the priests who made a particular impact on true Catholicism at the point when he was writing. He systematized everything. He even, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I'm not, but I, I don't think I am. He even systematized sin, the the sins and the virtues. I mean, he literally, he literally systemized Catholic theology, which was in use from the time of his death until the time of the Protestant revolt. And I didn't even know this. I, I ran across this fact Recently, apparently sometime after 
the Protestant revolt, Catholic seminaries quit teaching Thomism. And by the time of Pope Leo XIII, it was rarely taught in Catholic seminaries. And I think that Pope Leo XIII is criminally underrated because one of the things that he did when he became Pope was, was he reintroduced Thomism into Catholic seminaries. And once again, I'm not claiming any authority, but in my opinion, and a lot of people would say, well, you just got done saying that he's too deep. Well, for, for me to write on his theology, yes, he's too deep. But as a layman, I can appreciate the, the essence that runs through his theology of God's revealed truth. And in my opinion, his theology is the fullest expression of God's revealed truth. And it's timeless. It is literally timeless. And once again, divine providence. I'm sure there's a reason that God allowed what should have been the only theology that modern Catholicism should have been based on to be forgotten. Or, or shelved. But. Um, in my opinion. And I have no idea. Um, I think Bishop Sanborn basically teaches Thomism in his seminary. I don't know how the other set of a contest seminary do their thing. Things but. Thomism should be the baseline theology of the Sedevacantist movement, in my opinion. You know, um, and just to make the matter clear, just because, just because I'm a limited layperson, does not make the things that I talk about on both of my podcast platforms illegitimate because I'm just a layman and I'm very limited. Truth is truth. If I am speaking God's revealed truth, then what I'm saying has no less authority than any what anyone else says. Be they, be they, um, I won't say Pope because we don't have one, but be they a prelate, priest, or a uh, monk or a nun, or the most learned uh, non-religious theologian. God's truth is God's truth. It doesn't matter who says it. That's the whole point. In the Old Testament of the story of Balaam's ass. I've already covered that story, so I'm not going to do it again. But that's the whole point. God's truth is God's truth. Who he picks to say his truth, he's God. It's up to him. Not up to you. Not up to me. Uh not really up to Bishop Sanborn or any of the other set of contest prelates or priests for that matter. He's God. He's literally the creator of his own reality. So he decides, not us. But I noticed that it tends to be... Um, 
a underlying attitude instead of a contest circles the appeals to authority. Now, am I saying that I can say that or I can I can literally say heresy and I should be not condemned? No, I'm not. I'm talking about God's revealed truth. As a layman, I am under the authority of my priest and my bishop. I recognize this fact and I'm fully on board. I couldn't I can't be a true Catholic otherwise. It cannot it couldn't be any other way. We are based on authority. But authority as in other things, can be abused. You know, we wouldn't have had Vatican II if modernists... No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to use that term because I think the term modernist gets used and abused. Heretical... Heretical priests... Um prelates, nuns, and monks, they, they abuse their authority to teach their heresy. And by the way, teaching heresy in it of itself is an abuse of if, if you're in a position of authority. Um, it is literally an abuse. And that's why the true, one true Catholic Church teaches that people in positions of authority, and for this, for this particular episode, I'm going to stick strictly to the spiritual authority, why they will be judged to a higher standard for their behavior on earth. Because they are in positions of authority. Now, does this mean that I, as a layman, will not get judged for purposely um, saying things I know are not true? No. Absolutely not. If I, if I am purposely spreading heresy or even, even disinformation, I got, I'm responsible. We, we as true Catholics are responsible for what we say, what we do, what we think, and how we act. We are responsible. We have to give an account. And for those of you with families, you are responsible for their souls. And not, not to, to, to repeat myself, I feel the clarification is necessary. If you give a good faith effort at trying to impart piety and devotion in your spouse or in your kids or any relation in your life and through their own rebellion ignore you, that's on them. That's not on you. But I just felt like it need it needs to be clarified. Anyway, back to St. Thomas Aquinas. Um anybody who's familiar with his writings know he covered a multitude of subjects not just spiritually but even in the uh, secular realm you know um, as a matter of fact if i'm not mistaken there were kings and and uh, nobles who used to write to him because obviously his his wisdom was his uh his reputation for wisdom was such that through a lot of Christendom, 
you know, um, like I said, kings and nobles would write to him for advice on a particular issue that they may have been experiencing in the running of their kingdom. And if I'm not mistaken, for all the Vatican II blather about the uh, just war theory, if I'm not mistaken, it was St. Thomas Aquinas who gave us the just war theory. I want to touch on something before I close out here. There was a reason why I quoted his quote where he said, literally, I learned more in prayer than I did reading theological books. Because only through prayer and a spiritual life can your natural knowledge, it's not just your natural knowledge, but it's also your natural insights become deeper and I'm looking for the right word here, deeper and more profound, for lack of a better term. And, you know, you ignore this at your own peril. Now, um, am I saying that, you know, that we should all run out and read St. Thomas Aquinas? No, I'm not suggesting that. Because, first of all, his theology is the fullest expression of God's revealed truth on earth. So I honestly believe it's going to take another saint to make these these concepts digestible to the degraded moderns that we are today. But for second reason is there was another reason I'm using St. Thomas Aquinas. Well, there are two reasons. The first reason is we gain wisdom through a spiritual life. And I'm talking about um, godly wisdom or knowledge of God through a spiritual life. But for the second reason is too many said of a contest get hung up on theology. They get hung up on the theology. They get hung up on canon law. Once again, I'm going to quote another saint. We are not judged by our knowledge of dogma or theology. We are judged on how much we loved while on earth. They use charity, but I got a feeling that a lot of people don't understand the concept of charity. So I'll just break it down and say loved. So, I would advise against said vacantis trying to getting all wrapped up in um, St. Thomas Aquinas because I think the default, the default position, at least for a lot of online set of vacantis, is dogma, theology, and canon law and not enough about the spiritual life. My advice to my advice would be you will have a more profitable time if you study Father De Cassad, um, St. Louis de Montfort, St. Therese of the Infant Jesus, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Francis de Sales, any of the spiritual saints. Because that's what the world is lacking right now. We are, we are lacking spiritual people. We've got plenty of people who can talk ad nauseum about legality, blah, 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 blah. 
The world is not starving necessarily, and remember what I said, necessarily for more knowledge. There is a necessity for knowledge, but what the world needs more than anything else right now, present era, is people who have spiritual love of God and neighbor. And before I close this out, I'm going to say once again, I don't believe everyone's called to be a saint, but that does not excuse us from at least it trying to attempt piety and devotion. So to sum up this episode, what I'm trying to tell you is if you, if you do your rosary or even if you do your daily prayers, ask for holy wisdom and knowledge of God. I can't speak for yourselves. I can only speak for myself. In my experience, this has been invaluable to me. And I dimly understand, at least in my own experience, I've only scratched the surface But what little I have scratched has left me with a hunger for more. An an insatiable hunger for more. And an insatiable, insatiable desire to share with people the things that I've learned. So you take that for what it's worth. I hope and pray you get something out of this. I really do. I care for everybody. I do. I pray for everybody. And I would like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. However, you are responsible for your own salvation. People can pray for you all day long. If you do not accept the graces that our Lord Jesus Christ or his blessed mother give you, that is on you. It's not on our blessed mother. It's not on our Lord Jesus. And it's not on the people who are praying for you. It's on you. You have to be willing to accept the graces that are given to you. If you do not, if you end up in hell, you are responsible for it. And just to make things clear, my attitude always is, if I go to to hell, God did not fail me. I failed him and his blessed mother, and I deserve no better. And my baseline attitude when it comes to these things is, is, I do not want to fail, not just our Lord Jesus Christ and his blessed mother, but the heavenly kingdom and the one true Catholic church. I do not want to fail them. Anyhow, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for your patience and time. Have a good day. God bless you. Bye-bye.
Jesus, who's the future?